Hi, this is Pastor Austin from Connection Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our services, you can go to ConnectionNYC.com or check us out at ConnectionNYC on Instagram. Hope you enjoy it and hope to see you soon. Good morning. We're so excited that you guys have uh, chosen to worship with us this morning. Um, Just during worship, I just felt this Holy Spirit conviction. Um, It's not necessarily part of the sermon, but just wanted to share. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term or the the phrase imposter syndrome. Um, Maybe this is just for me. I don't know. We'll see. Um, If it's you, if you want to, you can raise your hand, but you you don't have to. Um, I just felt like the the stage of a church that we're in right now, I think collectively as a church, it could be easy for us to have a sense of imposter syndrome to some degree, uh, where we're gathering as a church, but if we've grown up in church, for some of us, this doesn't look like the church that we grew up in. Um, Sometimes we're scrambling to put things together as we're kind of transitioning to a new space and, and make all this work. And so I just want to encourage you guys that the stories that I've heard uh, from you individually, the stories of things that I know God is doing within our church, uh, mostly through our church members, have been extremely encouraging to me. We have a, a leadership team that stepped up and done a phenomenal job, and God is just doing so many incredible things through our church, and we have so much more planned over the next few months that we know God is, is coming through and going to be faithful with. And so uh, I just want to reassure, reassure you guys and encourage you guys that I'm encouraged by you. I'm encouraged by our church. I've been a part of a lot of different church settings um, here in the city and really across the country. And there's something special about our church. There's something special about the resiliency of the people that are at our church And there's something special about the way that we're willing to continually take on day-to-day challenges, week-to-week challenges to bring the gospel to Astoria. So I don't know if that was just for me, if that was for any of you, but I I just felt this overwhelming Holy Spirit presence that wanted me to communicate that to you guys this morning. I'm encouraged by Connection Church, and I love you guys, and I appreciate you being here. Um, Awesome. Well, with that, we can move forward with uh, the sermon um, hopefully, if that was encouraging, the, the sermon will be uh, equally encouraging. Uh, we've been going through this series that we've titled uh, The Church. And in this series, we've gotten to take a deep dive into Scripture to discover the description of God's church, right? We've learned that the church is a body of believers that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel with us throughout our lives so that we can share the love of Jesus and understand our Savior better. So those first four weeks, those are the things that we were discovering. And then last week, we uh, have even seen an example of the unity and the humble nature and the servant-mindedness that this creates within a church when we're doing those things and we're following that description that Scripture gives us. And all of this sounds incredible, almost like a no-brainer, right? Like, why wouldn't everyone follow Jesus? If it's that amazing, then, then why wouldn't everyone choose to do it? And today we're going to spend some time answering that question as we talk about the cost of following Jesus, the cost of following Jesus. So if you would, uh, join me in John chapter 6. And again, if you've scanned the QR code, if you went to connection.family and you were looking at the lyrics digitally, uh, you can just scroll all the way down and you should have the scripture there at the bottom. 
Uh, we'll read through a few segments of these. We're going to go through more scripture today, so typically I'll read the whole of everything, um, but we're just going to go at it in, in parts today. I think it'll be a little bit easier to break down. So if you want to join me on connection.family or if you want, you have your own source, uh, that's great as well. We'll start in John chapter 6, starting in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. In verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So Jesus speaks to those who have gathered to hear his message, and he tells them that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And this is in direct response to Jesus calling himself the bread of life just passages prior, right? Just a little bit earlier in his message, he called himself the bread of life. And the Jews were like, well, what does he mean if he's the bread of life? How can we eat his flesh? And he said, no, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Most of the Jews present had a very difficult time understanding how this was possible and what exactly Jesus meant. So Jesus tells these people that whoever feeds on his flesh and drinks his blood abides in him, abides in him. And we don't really use the word abide very often, or at least I don't in my normal vernacular. I'm not just walking around, you know, throwing out. I don't have a huge vocabulary, but, you know, it's... It's okay, I guess, right? But I don't, I'm not using the word abide often. So I was like, okay, what do, we, what do we mean when we say abide? Well, the Greek word used for abide in this instance is meno, which translates closely to remaining unchanged or living, finding life. Remaining unchanged or living or finding life. You see, Jesus was communicating that those who were willing to endure this difficult saying, this hard saying, and they were willing to abide in him, or mino, that they would be finding life in him and committing to being unchanged and unmoved, even in the face of adversity. And thus they would find life eternal from the bread that came down from heaven. When I was young, I would stay at my grandparents' house uh, fairly often. Uh, they, they didn't live too far away, and I, you know, I guess when my parents got tired of me, they were like, you know what? Going to grandma and grandpa's house. Um, I actually never, I don't know if you guys ever think back to like, if you spend a lot of time at your grandparents' house. Like now when I send our kids to their grandparents, it's because like Haley and I are trying to like go away for a few days, uh, but we don't live that close to them. So they don't go there that often. So I've thought back like, why was I always at my grandparents' house, right? Like how big of a hassle was I that my parents were like, well, it's been two weeks. You got to go back over there again for a week. Um, but I just remember my, my grandfather, like one of his favorite things to do was to take me fishing with him. Well, one of his favorite things to do was fishing. And if I had to be with him, I guess he figured that was probably the best like scenario for us to spend time together. So he would take me fishing with him. And when we would go fishing, 
um, we would be out there for just a couple of hours, and I would always complain about being hungry or thirsty. I thought about this story the other day because that's literally the only thing that ever comes out of Sawyer's mouth is that he's hungry or thirsty. That's the only time we interact. If he's fed and he has something to drink, he will not talk to me at all until five minutes later when he needs more of whatever that thing is that I gave him. But I would bug my grandfather over and over and over again until finally he would just be like, okay, let's pack it up. He'd get the rods, he'd get the reels, he'd get all the bait, he'd get the tackle box, and we would just leave because he was tired of me complaining. Well, one day he got really, really smart, and he just had this massive cooler, and he had like sandwich meats, he had like chips, he had different types of cheeses, he had like different types of condiments and, and like spreads, and he had like three gallons of water, and he packed it all up in the trunk, and I imagine he was thinking like, all right, let's see him eat and drink through this stuff, right? And so as you can imagine, that actually did last us. We got to stay up through lunch and a couple of hours after. So instead of fishing for like an hour and a half with an incessant kid like bugging him all day, um, we got to fish for like four or five hours. Much better day. But regardless of how much food that my grandfather chose to bring for this outing, at some point we would have run out, right? At some point, even if we stayed there like throughout the night and then camped the next morning, I mean, we would have run out. And I guess unless we were really good fishermen, maybe we would have always had food. Um, but those things are temporary, right? And that's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. When, when he's talking about being the bread of life and the bread that, that never goes away, he's talking about having this thing that we can abide in and find life in that is permanent, right? It's not something that your grandfather packs up, you know, a, a, a day or two days rations to last even just through lunch. It's something that we can always go back to and will always be there no matter how long we have to go back to it. It's permanent. It's eternal. It comes from the Son of God, and he's offering it to us. So what happens is when we fill our church with these temporary things, right? When we're abiding in things, even in church, when we're abiding in things that are temporary, we find that the joy in those things eventually runs out. We get excited maybe about an awesome service or we have a really great week where we see Jesus working. But those things, those feelings run out. But when we go to the source, when we go to Jesus, when we find life and abide in Jesus, he will sustain us through every adversity, every disappointment, every failure, and every mountaintop. He sustains us permanently through all of those things. And so what do we have to do in order to receive that? We have to abide in Jesus. We have to abide in Jesus. And in order to abide in him, it costs us something. It costs us something. If somebody were to tell you, I have this permanent source of success, this permanent source of uh, sustainability that you can go to, it costs nothing, then you would automatically go to it, right? But if they say, I have this thing that you can abide in, it's eternal, but in order to have it, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have to abide in me. You have to be uncomfortable. So in order to abide in Jesus, sometimes that is going to cost us comfort. It's going to cost us comfort. So if we want to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to give up comfort in order to follow Jesus and remain and abide in him. Mino, right? We have to be unchanged. We have to be unfaltered. We have to be unremoved from a relationship with Jesus, even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult. 
We have to abide in him even when it's uncomfortable. If we move on uh, in, in this teaching that Jesus is sharing in John chapter 6, starting in verse 60, he says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So Jesus begins to further address those who are grumbling and those who are starting to doubt their commitment, right? You have to remember these people had been following Jesus and watching him do these incredible miracles. And even though they were right there, Jesus said, even though you're here and you're watching, some of you still don't believe. And even though they had just seen him feed 5,000 people, and even though they had pressed in on him, and even though they had seen and heard of the miracles and they were present for those things, when those good things ran out, where were they? They were back to Jesus requesting the same miracles. Jesus, do something great. But Jesus addresses them and he says, if you're worried right now about this saying, what might you say if I were to ascend and leave you entirely? Because it's actually not the flesh that gives you life, it's the spirit. It's not the works that you see that should be giving you life, it's the source of those works. He highlights that the spirit gives life, not the flesh. So Jesus is trying to communicate that we can't rely on works of the flesh to sustain our faith. But we have to remember that we are reliant on the Holy Spirit and act upon it. We are reliant on the Holy Spirit and we act upon it. So in order for us to follow Jesus... In order for us to be a part of his church, in order for us to get to engage in all these incredible things that we've been talking about the past several weeks, and we're talking about the cost of those things, not only do we have to relinquish comfort, not only do we have to say we're willing to sit in these uncomfortable moments with Jesus, these hard sayings where he tells us something that is just hard to grasp, we relinquish that comfort and we abide in him because we know that he's called us to. But the, the other thing that we have to give up is control. We have to be willing to give up control because the flesh is not what saves. Our works, the things that we are in control of, are not what saves. The Holy Spirit is. And if we're relying on the Holy Spirit, that means we don't control the timing of the things that happen. We don't control the power of the things that happen. And thank God for that. Because if we did, then we would never do anything greater than what we could do on our own. But God has called us to something greater. He's called us to give up this comfort. He's called us to give up this control so that we can follow him to places that we would never be able to go otherwise. He gives us these incredible things. And yes, it's a gift. And yes, all we have to do is accept it. But there is a cost in continuing to follow Jesus. If we want to do it appropriately, if we want to follow him the way that scripture has told us that we need to follow him, we have to be willing to give up comfort. We have to be willing to give up control. 
These things are difficult. They're challenging. When's the last time you walked up to someone and said, hey, just give me control of everything and don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. That's hard. I woke up this morning and Haley has been gracious enough to take over like putting the lyrics on the link. And so she like did the lyrics last night. We didn't talk much about it. We're on the way to church this morning. I was like, hey, did you check and make sure the lyrics are they're like on the link, right? You did that. I'm like, I know Haley did that. But I had relinquished control to her, and I was still nervous on the way here. Even my own wife, I was like, oh, I wonder if she actually did it right. We don't like giving up control. It's difficult. It's, it's costly. So there's actually there's a pretty big game today. I don't know if you guys are aware, but it's the Super Bowl. And every year, one of the biggest parts of the Super Bowl is... The commercials, right? I mean, some people only watch the Super Bowl for commercials. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but companies come up with some of their best marketing material, and if they have enough money, right, they'll broadcast that material for millions to see. So I just was curious and looked up the average cost of a 30-second ad segment for the Super Bowl this year, which is $7 million for 30 seconds. 30-second slot. So companies will approach this opportunity by, by running like a cost analysis, right? That there's, there's different aspects of how a company will decide whether or not they want to purchase a slot for this 30 seconds. First of all, they have to answer the question, can we afford $7 million? And for most companies, that's going to be a no. Um, but for the ones who can afford it, the first thing they're going to ask is, what will our return on that investment be? If we spend $7 million and we get a 30-second clip, what do we get out of it? And the way they run that analysis is by looking at what the potential result will be, what the potential result will be. It's a great business model. You don't want to spend money on something that you're not going to get at least an equivalent amount of value in return. And when you spend money and you invest money, especially $7 million, your hope is that you're actually getting more out of it than what you've invested. You see, in the Western church specifically, but just in church in general, sometimes we try to take these really awesome business models and apply them to our church. And then after we've taken those business models for long enough and applied them to our church, we begin to apply them to like our individual walks with Jesus. And we start asking ourselves, if I follow Jesus for X amount of time... What is my return on investment? What's my ROI for following Jesus? And this is so, so dangerous. Because either we decide that individual steps of results in our life are not worth our investment. I did a coffee giveaway. No one showed up. wasn't worth it. I held a worship service. Ten people showed up. I wanted 50 there. wasn't worth it. Either we begin to evaluate what God has called us to do in those terms, or we get so caught up with the end of what our return on investment is, which is eternity, that we only look at eternity and we never focus on what's in front of us and what God has called us to do. And either way, it robs us of the joy of the process of being a follower of Jesus. And so when we get ready to invest in this life, when we get ready to give up our comfort, when we get ready uh, to just give up these uh, abilities to 
make our own decisions and we're giving up control, what we're actually doing is we're investing in a relationship with Jesus and our return on that investment is the process. It is going out and thinking, man, I hope 50 people show up and only 10 people show up, but then you find the joy in the relationships that you built with those 10 people. Or it's going back to the drawing board and hitting your knees in prayer and saying, God, I thought you wanted me to do a coffee giveaway, but nobody showed up. So what do I do now? It's that process that adds the value in our life. And that process eventually builds to glorification and what the end result is. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 66, the last section of this teaching, it says, After this, many of his disciples, so Jesus, after this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Notice it doesn't say many of like these you know, flaky people that have seen Jesus one time. It says his disciples, the people who were following him and watching him do miracle after miracle. After this, many of them turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And in one of the most poetic responses, it's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus challenges his disciples, his followers, and many of them turn away. And Jesus looks to his closest 12 and he says, do you need to go too? And Peter said, Lord, I don't even know where I would go. I left everything to follow you. And in addition to that, I've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else do I need to be but right here with you, regardless of how you're challenging me? Where else would I go? In order to follow Jesus, the way that we've been called to follow Jesus, we have to abandon our nets in the same way that Peter abandoned his fishing net. We have to abandon our safety nets. So following Jesus, it costs us comfort, it costs us control, and it costs us safety. It costs us safety in the sense that we're going to be challenged and we're going to be called to do things that are difficult. And you know what? There may be these broken human scars that come out of that, but God uses those broken human scars to build a strong spiritual relationship, to sanctify us, to teach us, to build our character and to move us closer into what that end goal is, right? Glorification and being with our Savior in heaven. So what does it cost? It's kind of that final question that really determines most of every one of our decisions, right? Haley was telling me she's going to make a grocery order later. I kind of have this rule in my head where it's like, hey, I'm ordering this stuff from Amazon, and she'll be like, it's 80 bucks, right? If it's like less than $100, I'm just like, pull the trigger on it. Let's go. But if it's over 100 uh, you know, she'll usually ask, like, hey, you, you want to look at it and see, like, what's on here. She'll say, oh, I found this thing and it'd be great for the kids' room or I got, you know, this many groceries. It, it, like, it all sounds great. It sounds amazing. But the last question that I need answered is, what does it cost? And is it worth it? 
That's really the, the last question that we ask ourselves before we follow Jesus, right? What does it cost? And is it worth it? To follow Jesus costs us everything. It costs us everything. It costs us comfort and control and safety and everything that we have to submit it to Jesus. And our return is far greater, far greater than anything we could ever give Jesus. The thing that he gives us leaps and bounds way better than anything we have to give him. But it's still difficult to turn that over. We get caught up in these day-to-day things that are frustrating, and it seems like sometimes it's not worth it. But to follow Jesus costs us everything. It costs us control and comfort and our safety net. But if we truly want to abide in Jesus and act on the Holy Spirit's work, we have to abandon all control. We have to leave our nets behind to follow Jesus with every single thing that we have. Let's pray. God, I'm just so grateful for our church. Lord, I'm grateful for the encouragement that I have from each and every person that's in this room. God, I'm grateful for the opportunity to just share your word with our church. And I pray that it's transformative. God, I pray that it wouldn't just be something that that we hear and don't act on. God, it would be something that we desperately and passionately choose to apply to our lives. God, that it would transform every decision that we make. God, I pray that we would count the cost and we would understand that following you can be challenging. Lord, I would be remiss if I were to stand up here and and preach and say, yeah, following Jesus is amazing, but then also not talk about the cost of following you. God, I pray that for each of us here, we would find joy in the process that you've called us to. And with joy, not necessarily being overjoyed or happy about it, but with joy, we would bring the things of our life to you and submit them to you. God, we would give you control. We would give up comfort. And God, we would give up making ourselves feel safe so that we can chase after you with everything that we have, God, to watch you do incredible things in our life and in the life of our church that we would never, ever be able to do on our own. Lord, we lift these prayers up to you in the name of the person who allows us to do so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.